Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. I have a very simple message. Uh, I don't have a lot of, it's not like, you know, last week, we went through Colossians 2, and we broke down how spiritually, physically, and then every other power that could ever come against you had been removed out of the way from you, the things that could be held against you. See, it's complicated just trying to re-explain it. But that on the cross, Jesus exchanged natures with you. On the cross, he took, that's the, physical, the spiritual part. On the cross, he took the handwriting of ordinances that was against you. So the penalty for sin or the breaking of the law was manifest in his body. And then he says, as a result of that, any other power that ever exists doesn't exist outside the realm of the power of Jesus. And none of those can come against you because that stuff has been stripped by him as well. He is a conquering king. He is preeminent. And nothing can come against you that he has not already faced, whether it be spiritual, physical. In fact, there is nothing, there is no law for righteousness that can be held against you because he already took it and fulfilled it. Not threw it away. Amen. It's fulfilled. It's complete. So you are complete in him. I mean, let's just go home after that one, right? <laughs> but when you look at what it talks about, the, the circumcision made without hands, this is where I was going to go today and talk about the sin nature, the root of nature having been removed from you because you are in Christ now. But God deviated me last night, and I'm going to get to that one. But it's, it's, really, it's really important that you understand that you have been changed at the core of the kind of creature that you are on this planet. There is no physical standard of morality that is held against you that you have to live up to. You naturally know how to follow God because you've been given a new heart and His Spirit's in you constantly feeding you grace and wisdom and leading you. You don't even have the old... You know, it's hard to explain what the sin nature was. It's kind of best understood in effect, meaning... The effect of the sin nature means that you can't be righteous in and of yourself. You can't be acceptable to God through your own flesh and performance. So therefore, you have to be changed at the kind of being, at the core of what you are, so you can be acceptable throughout all eternity with the Father. And that's what happens. He removes the old aspect of what you are, puts himself in there, gives you a new heart. You don't have a sin nature anymore. You don't have a black dog and a white dog in there fighting in whichever one you feed. I mean, you, you laugh, but how many of you have heard that teaching? It's very clear. The circumcision made without hands has circumcised that root of that old man, the dead man, out of you and buried it. Dead. Done. Say dead. 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 D-E-D. Dead. Which puts you in a place where you are only qualified for blessing. Hallelujah. See, absolutely we're still to keep the laws of Christ, which are love God, love people, but they're not for the requirement of righteousness. The only thing that has, that's attached to a new covenant law is blessing. 
So in other words, as you love people, you experience the blessing of that relationship. As you trust God, as you believe on his name, you experience the blessing of what's true in his name. But if you don't keep the commandment of believing on the name, there is no curse left for you. And it's not that you're unqualified or God withholds the blessing. It's just that your heart is not in faith toward him and you're not going to let yourself experience it, even though he's already given it to you. You have been delivered from the power of darkness, translated into his kingdom. You're in his kingdom. Everything he has is there. Now it's a matter of engage him in confident faith from your heart toward him. So all of that to say this very simple thing this week, um, which kind of shifted what I want to preach on today, I just felt like there was an invitation from God. And that was, he, you know, I'm not going to say God spoke. I just, there was just this influence and just this idea started to resonate. And every day and all day long, it just would resonate within me. And it was the idea of God inviting me to expect him to bless me. Yes. I mean, it was, like, it was like I was just sitting there and I think I was having coffee and I was just enjoying, you know. And, and, and I just felt like he said, would you open yourself up to let me bless you? It's like he just said, look, I, 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 I just want to bless you. Are you willing to just let me bless you? Now, I probably run the same patterns that you run, and that is, well, okay, would be really great if you'd bless this. Yeah. <laughs> or, sure, God. And then deep down, you're like, you're trying to assign what he needs to do, right? Well, he knows what you need before you ever even ask. What if you could just look at his face and just say, you know what, I don't care when, I don't care why, I don't care how, yes. Amen. And, and, and leave it at that. Just trust that he has good plans for you, <coughs> plans to bless you, plans to prosper you, plans to bring a very specific expected end into your life for one reason and one reason alone, because you gave a big enough check. Because you prayed for that person in line at the supermarket. You obeyed. Because you didn't yell at your kids. That's why God wants to bless you. You messed up that one already. Yeah, see, you're done. That's... What's the reason, the one reason? You're in Christ. It's just too easy. But there's still the believing aspect, right? There's still the faith toward him until the full fruition of that seed has born into your life. Yeah. See, because it's one thing to say, yeah, you got all the blessings, you got all the promises, you're good, you're righteous, you could die right now, and you're good. In fact, there's never anything that you can do that can disqualify you because you're a, you have a spiritual state of existence, Amen. and that's what God's relating to. Except that, and there's no except, it's just that why aren't you externally experiencing all that? It's because we just haven't let it grow to complete fruition. We have, you know, it's like we just, we get our eyes focused on this world instead of just letting him bless us. It's, it's complicated. It's so easy that it's complicated. I don't get it. I don't understand. What, how am I, I love the, the ultimate explanation that Jesus gives us of the kingdom. Here's how the kingdom works. The farmer casts seed in the ground. He goes to sleep. He wakes up. He doesn't know how it happens, but it bears fruit. This is you planting a seed. Here's your seed. I don't, I don't know how, why, when, what, 
how big, how tall, anything, but yes. So I am willing to shift my thinking away from what I don't have and what I think I need you to do for me to just, I'm just going to trust that you want to do good things for me. And see, as you change your mind and you put on that lens and you, you, you have a shift of perspective, then you'll actually be able to see the leading of him to lead you into that. Honestly, that's what repentance is. You change the way that you think so that you can see what he wants to do in your life. You're not blocking any longer through fear, lust of the world, the pride of life, all of that stuff, fear of money. You're not blocking any longer the vision of seeing his way. I think we miss opportunities so, so many times, not because he's withholding, not because he's not answering, but because our thinking can't see what he's trying to do in our lives. Like, we don't think the way that he wants us to think to be led into what he's trying to lead us into. I mean, if I start talking to you about a subject that you don't know anything about, you ever done that, right? It's like somebody, you're, you're having a conversation with somebody, and then a year later, you get what they were talking about. <laughs> I mean, I have lots of different conversations. Of people will come to me, and they'll start talking about their area, their specific field, and it's like, I think I get it, but then I start to study it, or I'll just I'll, something will happen, and it's, oh, now I see what they're, it's, you know, they're speaking English, but it's just a totally different perspective that you didn't get before. We don't necessarily speak God's language all the time, and that's, that's a problem. But you can repent, change the way that you think, and come into agreement with him. And here's the thing. This is what I want you to remember when you walk out of here. Expect a blessing. Amen. Which just means just be open to letting him bless you. Now, you're already doing it. I can see it. I can hear it. Yeah. Well, that means I'm going to get a really big tip. That means I'm going to get a raise. That means somebody's going to give me a car. That means somebody's going to pay my mortgage. Stop it. Yeah. Let him do it. Because you know why? It'll be exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ask. Yeah. Close enough. <laughs> Is he that good? So what does blessing look like? You know, we, we have some, I, I want to, let me give you the legal precedent here. In Galatians 3, 13, I'm just going to read this. Usually we put them up, but because this message changed for me, I didn't get on board with them and get the right version. So y'all just follow along. I didn't put what translation this was. Galatians 3, 13. If you don't, if if you still struggle with this whole mixed covenant, new covenant, old covenant, go read Galatians chapter 3, and, and, it, and it really brings into perspective where you are in this new covenant. So Galatians 3, 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. How did Jesus become a curse? God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. Jesus didn't just put your sin in a bag and carry it. He became your sin. In other words, he took upon himself your sin nature. He exchanged the deepest, darkest part of you on that cross and became it. He became a curse. I mean, it's, we, we miss these elements. Mm -hmm. You know, some people challenge the idea of whether or not there was a, penal, a penalty aspect of the cross. You don't have to call it punishment. But there was a curse exchanged here. There was a curse manifest in Jesus 
You don't have to call that punishment, but it's an exchange. So he became a curse. Because cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's you, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. See, you've been delivered from the curse. You've been made righteous because of faith in Him and what He did in you when you received Him, but you still receive the promise by faith. It's like it's in spirit form, and your faith, faith is this. I'm just going to look at the Lord, and I'm not going to let myself be distracted and that's like what causes these things to grow. I'm going to seek first the kingdom and everything else is added to me. The kingdom is in me. The kingdom is I am accepted because of what Jesus did. And so I'm just going to let it grow. And as I stay fixed on him, I'm led by him. And what he wants is established and built into my life. You know, it's, it's the opposite. It's like we've tried to do all these things and then get him to bless it. No, you just... You just acknowledge him. And that, I think that's the most difficult part that we have because we want to work really hard. Now, resting doesn't mean, rest doesn't mean inactivity. These kind of believers should be the most productive, most transformed, most sin-free, most personally, personally responsible, active members in this world than any, anybody but you're, you're laboring from acceptance. You're going into this world. It's, it's this. It's looking at God and acknowledging Him, and then when an aspect of putting in that sickle to reap the harvest comes in, the grace rises up within you, and you take an action. We all do it. We pray, God, change me. God, help me. I need this. I can't do this. I'm still struggling with this sin. I know that I'm, the, I know I'm righteous. I know you're not holding it against me, but this sin is killing me. I feel guilty, I feel condemned, I know you're not condemning me, you're convicting me of my righteousness, but it's killing me. Change me. And then he says, okay, I want you to tell your wife how beautiful she is. Hear me now. It's the subtle heart shifts that we need to make that start to discipline and train our hearts how to actually trust God. So God will help you Open up your heart in other areas so that it learns how to trust him. It's the little, simple, basic things that you let him transform within you that will teach you how to transform every other area. You're already perfect and holy and righteous in spirit, but are you living that way? I mean, it, it's a fruit that should happen. And this is what I mean by this. Let me, let me kind of give you this example. Do you ever withhold an apology because you just don't necessarily want to admit that you're wrong? Who does that? Uh-oh. <laughs> and all the spouses are looking going, I knew it. <laughs> or think about this. You know, it's a friend or it's a spouse or it's a child or somebody that's in your life, and you look at them and you're thankful for them. And you might... It's like, you know, let's say Angie comes out, and you just think that for some reason, standing that way, you're looking at her and thinking, wow, she just really looks, that's the girl. She's the one for me. I'm just, she's just beautiful. But you don't say it. Thinking it, but you don't say it. It's those kinds of little things. It's the shifts of why we hold things in and not let stuff out. The point is, it's not about, this is not a marriage sermon. This is, can we let ourselves 
be led by God to, to behave differently in small areas because that's where he'll teach you. That's where he'll teach you how to trust him is changing the way that you think, you know, persuading you to live in love and in gratitude toward people so that you can do it toward him too. I mean, do you see how that relates? You, the heart is dynamic, but once it learns how to do something in one area, it can translate and start to learn in another area. Your heart is where you believe from. Once your heart has the capacity of not withholding gratitude toward people, then you can, you can learn how to do that toward God, where you just acknowledge Him. You just say, yes, I'm just thankful. I don't have to define, God, what you need to do for me. You already know, and you want more for me and better for me than I could ever come up with for myself. But you mean i got to change? You mean I've got to think and transform? Well, you don't have to. You can slide right on into heaven and be just like you are right now. But maybe you won't have fully expressed the transformation that he's already done in your spirit. But can you let him bless you? See, this is what I'm talking about. These are the areas that you're going to be facing over the next couple of weeks where you face a situation and you're going to be inspired to handle it a little bit differently. That is your opportunity to experience transformation. And as you do, you'll let him change other areas of your heart. So when it comes to blessing, Proverbs 10, 22, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. You know, people vet churches, right? They, they, they um, and I don't know, these people even may be here. I don't know, I don't remember who it came from, but sometimes you get questions like, well, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you preach the prosperity message? That's like a question that we get sometimes. And I'm like, well, it depends on what you mean by that. Does it, does it, mean, does it mean that we preach that you can, you know, sew a check on the seventh day at 7 o'clock? and put two sevens on the end of it. And if you're preaching and there's an anointing on what you're saying in that moment, and if I run up there and throw it down at the altar, right when you're saying that, there's a better chance that I'll experience a thousandfold. I mean, gosh, I got myself so distracted on that one, I don't even know what I was saying. <laughs> it's weird stuff that we think our blessing is tied to, right? Now, that's an, that's an extreme example but your blessing is not tied to your action, but the heart of those actions, of maybe certain actions that you are taking or not taking, are the real issue. You might not be experiencing the blessing that God has for you because your heart just can't see it. You're not persuaded of God in that area. And the children of Israel were like that. See, God adds a blessing. Oh, that's where I was going, prosperity. Stick with Scripture. We're good. Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. Oh, good. I get to get my Cadillac and my beach house and my jet skis. And No, I'm not talking about carnality, although that may be part of what you experience. But the blessing, the, do you know what part of the definition of blessing means? It means prosperity. And it means happy. Amen. And it means present. God just wants to give you a present that'll make you happy because it's going to make you rich in one way or the other. 
I mean, can, can you just let him do that? Really, I, I, want, I, I know I'm going to say some other things here, but I want to stick to the simplicity that that's our goal, that when we leave this place today, you're just going to be willing to let God influence you so that he can bring into your life this blessing that he has for you. I'm not saying this is the word of the season and God's got a special... I, I, I think this is a lifestyle, really. You know, you live in the favor of the Lord. You're the favored child. His favor is trying to clear space in your life to get things from heaven to manifest into your world around you. I mean, he just loves you. He just wants good things for you. But let's look at the Old Testament a little bit because we have this example with Joshua. So Joshua was the man. Go back and read the book of Joshua. It's, it's powerful. Uh, <clears throat> Joshua was basically the one that picked up after Moses after 40 years of wandering around in the desert that really was about a six-week journey. Now, watch this. I'm going to jump around on you for a minute. I think, well, it tells us very clearly the reason the Israelites could not enter into the promised land was because they didn't mix faith with the promise in their hearts, right? The best they could do was wake up and look at a fire and look at a cloud in the sky and follow it around and eat what manifested on the ground every day. But even that state of existence put them in a place where there was nobody sick, nobody weak, their clothes didn't wear out. I mean, I've got some shoes that I've worn for a year, and man, it's like they're done. And that's walking around on this soft stuff we walk around on. You talk about heat, desert. They didn't have the stitching we do. That's a miracle, 40 years. I think the reason, and it says it, they didn't mix faith in their heart with what God promised them, so they couldn't receive the blessing themselves. It says they limited the Holy One of Israel when they tested him in the desert. They limited him. I mean, that's Bible. That's, that's powerful. So... I think it's because if they would have just marched straight out of Egypt six weeks right on over to Jordan and right up on into Canaan where the land was full of giants, their hearts would not be at a place where they could receive that blessing. I don't know that they could have followed God through all the battles that they would have had to follow and let God fight on their behalf. You know, that's what we are to do. That, that's the, this is the paradox of being a Christian. You have been delivered from the power of darkness and you're translated into the kingdom. All of his promises are yes. He's given you everything that pertains unto life and godliness. He's not holding your sin against you. You're the favored child. You have been raised with him and seated in heavenly places. There's nothing being withheld from you, but you're not experiencing it ex externally. And we see it with the Israelites. If they had marched right on through the desert six weeks and stood, on, and, and stood at that Jordan and crossed right on into it, they might not have been at a heart place where they could let God lead them to victory, even though God had already promised it. They might not have been at a place where they could receive it. I think that's the issue. There's another passage that says, I led you around in the desert to reveal what was in your heart. In other words, to get all that junk out of your heart so that you'd get to a place where when you actually did get into the promised land, you didn't freak out because there were giants there, but you said, okay, Now's the time to fight these battles, and now let's go forward, and now let's take this land that we've been promised. See, your work is not to get righteous. Your work is not to get holy. Your work is to have your heart in confident faith toward him. Amen. 
Because then you'll work with him. Then you'll walk with him. Then you'll let yourself be led by him. And, and these little areas where we're withholding from people, we're not letting ourselves transform. I think those are those areas of our hearts where we're not letting God bless us as well. Do, do you see the association? So look at Joshua. Joshua, man, this guy's the man. I mean, he is just going through wiping out civilization after civilization. By the way, let me, uh, you know, let me flip into my geek mode for a minute. But this answer is a big question because God would tell these guys, Joshua, Moses, the patriarchs, tell them, go into this particular part of the land and kill everybody. I will fight with you. I will send hornets into the land. I will go before you. I will fight with you. I will make them kill each other. But those civilizations where God said, go in, kill them all, kill the women, kill the children, kill the animals, burn the houses, burn the clothes, don't even bring the gold out. Leave it. Don't touch it. Those were civilizations that were direct descendants. We know they were giants, right? Those are civilizations that were direct descendants of those fallen angels. That was a corrupt bloodline on the planet, and God didn't want them having to do anything, having anything to do with the, those civilizations. I mean, it's like almost sci-fi sounding. But that's the report, right? Joshua and Caleb, or they sent 12 spies out and only two came back. Joshua and Caleb said, hey, wait, I think we can do this. The other ones were like, there's giants over there. And that's literal. So when God would send them in to wipe out entire civilizations or, cult or, or, or cities, it wasn't because God's a genocidal maniac and the Hebrews were his favorite and he hated those people. It was because they were corrupt types of beings they were an abomination. They were the direct result of the fallen angels, and God wanted them done. That was the catalyst for wiping out the entire planet through the flood. These are just microcosms of that because for whatever reason, they were here after the flood as well. But it answers a big question. Why would God do that? Why would God want the, the, the children and the animals? Well, they were half-breeds. They weren't pure humans. So... To me, that's, that's a big aha moment, you know, it, because it touches the character of who God is. It answers a big question. So back on this, Joshua picks up after Moses. The children of Israel, their hearts are ready now. Their hearts are at a place where they can receive the blessing that God has for them. They can be led through Canaan and be led to Mount Hermon and all these different areas and actually take the land that God had promised them. But it's full of giants. The enemy is very prevalent in the area that they've been promised. Now, get the picture here. Moses is, I mean, Joshua is like this conquering king. He's gone and showed them. And there's a parallel between Joshua and Jesus. Joshua, you see the physical representation externally fighting actual physical enemies. Jesus is the one fighting the spiritual. Not just demons, but stuff, doubt, stuff like doubt, fear unbelief as well. So their king or their leader, Joshua, went in and showed them how to do it, fought the enemy, cleared out so many different areas and would give it to this particular tribe. So Joshua was the one that as under as a result of his leading going through Canaan, when it came time to start giving out the different sections of the land to the different tribes, 
they would come to him and he would help define based on how many people that they had under the leading of God. You tribe take this land, you take this land, you take this land. And, and, he, and he acted as he was like the broker of the inheritance, right? I mean, he was the one that said, okay, it's in the will for you to have this land. You go take this land. So Ephraim and Manasseh were children of Joseph. You know, you have Abraham, who the, if y'all know this, just kind of nod. And there may be some people that aren't solid on this. So Abraham was the one that God called out of Ur of the Chaldees where they were worshiping the sun over there and worshiping Nimrod. And God was like, you know what? I'm going to bless this land. I got to figure out how to do it. Well, you, know, I'm, you know, I'm just, he didn't have to figure it out. He knew what he was going to do. But it's like, we've got Abraham, Abram. I'm going to call him out and set him apart. And I'm going to make him a promise. And really, Abram, which name changed to Abraham, is in the position of all mankind. The promise that God made to Abraham is for you. But the promise is this. It's physical and it's spiritual. It's that through you, Abraham, the world, every nation on the planet will be blessed. Because the seed is going to come through you. Who's the seed? Then he makes a bunch of physical promises. You will enter into a land that you didn't purchase. You will live in houses you didn't build. You will reap from uh, gardens that you didn't sow, and, and on and on and on and on and on. So here's your homework. Go home, get on this new thing called the Internet, and do a search for the blessing of Abraham. And just read through it. Just check it out because you're qualified for it. And you pray and see how that applies to you. So... <clears throat> Manasseh, the tribe, comes to Joshua after they've gone into a particular land, and they've scouted it out, they come back to Joshua, and here's what they say. This is Joshua 17, verse 12. So yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor but they didn't utterly drive them out. I find that curious, right? It's like they went into the land, and they kept the enemy around. It's like they, 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 they played around with their enemy, kept them there to serve them. I'm not sure that's a good thing. I'm not sure that's a bad thing, right? I don't know why. I don't know if God told them to not kill them all, but keep some of them as servants. To me, it's not a good thing to keep your enemy around, right? But I think we do that. We flirt with things. It's like, I'm in control of this. This is my enemy, you know. I might have one that turns into ten, but I'm in control. I can stop it too. You know, I can, I can go this far on the Internet, but, you know, I'm in, I've got this under control. I can say this, but I'm not going to go there. And the next thing you know, you played around and flirted around with that enemy in your life, and you've gone further than you ever imagined. And you're sitting there again beating yourself up. Don't play around with that enemy. Draw a line in the sand. Stay away from it. Resist it. Whatever it is for you. So, <clears throat> verse 14. Then the children of Joseph, which Ephraim and Manasseh were sons of Joseph, which was a, one of the original 12. You have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel had 12 sons, and those are the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph is one of those tribes. Manasseh is a child of, actually I think a grandchild of Joseph. But So verse 14, then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua saying, 
why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit? Now, now picture yourself going to God. You know, it's like he's given you everything, but we go and we question him or we complain. This, this is kind of the interaction I see. This is an example for us. Why have you given us only, only one lot and one share to inherit? Since we are a great people, inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now. So Joshua answered, and he says, well, if you, if you are that great, if you are that numerous, if there are that many of you, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. So Joshua says, all right, you know, we're, go take this land too. You can have this land up here. But the children of Joseph, or Manasseh, said, The mountain country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron. The enemy is too big. This is too strong for me. I can't fight this battle. God, I don't know why. This is where the, the subtle deceptive doctrine that says God won't put more on you than you can handle comes in. And so you believe that, and then we think, well, God's putting this on me, but at the last minute, he's going to show up and bail me out. And that's not even what that passage says. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says he won't, more, he won't allow more than you can stand to come upon you, which is very different than saying he won't put more, put more on you. So what he says is when you are, he's not waiting to the last minute to show up to deliver you. He's promised to you is, look, you're never going to face anything or I'm going to leave you on your own. I'm going to come and help you. That's not a teaching that says God's going to wait until you're at your breaking point so that you learn to squeeze every ounce of teaching out of it. Then I'll come help you. That's not the point. He's saying, no, there's, it doesn't matter what you face. Nothing can overtake you because I'm always going to be there to help you. And it says in that 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he shows them the way out of the temptation. So verse 16, the mountain country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who dwell in the land, the Canaanites were the giants, um, have chariots of iron, both those who are of Beth Sheen and its towns and those who are of the valley of Jer. Jezreel. It's verse 17. Now, I love this. This is, this is the picture. They're in the promised land, right? They've crossed the Jordan. They have actually taken part of the land, right? I mean, we, we experience partial miracles. We experience partial, partial transformation. We believe God up to a certain place. That's, this is where these guys are physically. They've experienced a certain element of the promise to them, so they go back to Joshua, and they're doing the right thing. It's like, okay, well, we don't fit, so we need more land. And he tells them to go, and they come back and complain again. They say, okay, well, that, where you sent us, we can't do that. Watch what he does. And I think this is, this is how God, I know this is how God responds to me. But watch what Joshua does to these guys. Notice the language change. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, you Remember, they came and they said, we're a great people. He said, okay, well, if you're a great people, as you say, then go take this land. Not as a challenge, but just saying, okay, all right, it's, do as according to you've said. I love this. So Joshua says, you are a great people. You have great power. 
You shall not have only one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it's wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours, for you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. It's a shift. He's like, it's time to believe. It's time to follow me. You've seen the arm of the Lord. You've seen the strength and the victory of the Lord on your behalf. No, there's no more whining. You will inherit this blessing. This is, I think this is, this is a personification of grace. Grace is what flows from the throne room of God, rises up in your heart and empowers. This is like a brave heart moment, right? I mean, this is Joshua, his face is painted. He's like, you shall take that land. You shall go in there. I don't care how big their chariots are. You're going to cut down those trees. You're going to kill them all. <laughs> now, what if you felt that way about your fear? about your doubt. I mean, what if you just held on to God to the degree where you weren't going to let yourself doubt anymore? And then verse, this is, so that was Joshua 17. Skip down to Joshua 21. After they go out, they go running and they're, you know, they, they handle their business. Then this is the result. This can be your end as well, and I believe it is in some areas, but I believe all areas. This is incredible. So the Lord gave Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give their fathers. It happened. And they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around. Now, rest took a lot of work. For us, the work is believe, mm -hmm. stay confident, trust, right? You're not working for it. You're working from it. Labor to enter into the rest. The laboring is the believing confidently. So the Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. Nothing was left. Not one enemy was left. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Amen. Wow. Wow. Expect a blessing. Now, I, I, I rarely use that language, but I really feel like this is a word. I think it was confirmed this morning, even in our prayer before church. But if this resonates to you, I think, you've, I think some of you have been hearing this from God. It's like, yeah, I just, I just want you to do, I just, I, I just believe that you want good things for me. I'm just willing to let it come into my life. So even in this way of expressing, <coughs> excuse me, Christianity from a finished work perspective, we can still get caught up in kind of some, some religious ways of thinking. It's like, okay, now it's not about fighting the devil. It's not about performing up to a standard to get God to bless me. 
It's not about disappointing him and him withholding from me because of my sin. Now it's a heart issue. And so this is what we do then. We start to work really hard on our hearts like we used to work really hard on our behavior. And you start thinking, oh, there's something wrong with my heart. What, what's wrong with me? Maybe I've got unforgiveness in there. Maybe I've got a hidden secret sin. Maybe I've got this. Maybe I've got that. And so you start getting introspective and digging. And it's like, just let it all go. But the, the, the key is stay in confident faith toward him because that's the example that we have from the children of Israel. Why they couldn't enter in is they didn't mix faith in their hearts with the promise. It's one thing to stand on the promise, but if you just do that, you'll become frustrated. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. If you just look at that promise, but you don't believe it, I mean, you're not convinced of it. You're not persuaded of it. That's the work that you do. What does it take for you to be persuaded that the same result that the children of Manasseh experienced can be for you? And that is no enemy stands and everything that God has promised you comes to pass in your life. Well, you're just saying that every, our life should just be perfect. Well, Jesus prayed it. I didn't pray it. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, we can either take God at his word or we can water it down to our standard of living in this moment. I, it's challenging. It challenges me too, I know, because it's like, it's a paradox, you know. You rest, but you labor to believe. But just for this week, let's try something a little bit different. And just this week, every day when you wake up, just set your mind, just, just look at him. Look into his face, acknowledge God, acknowledge that he loves you, and just say, I'm open to letting you bless me. Amen. And then don't try to define it. Don't try to tell him where it needs to go. Don't start thinking about the areas where you're in lack because that's when you start convincing your heart and shifting the focus of your heart away from seeing it coming. Sometimes you receiving and walking into the blessing has to do with you making a choice to follow him through something. I don't mean he's going to give you a difficulty where you earn the blessing. I just mean there's an action to take, not to earn it, but to see the manifestation, to follow him. I mean, he's not magic where he just, there you go. You know, there, there's a process of following him. I'll give you the answer to the question you're thinking. I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, what if I don't? You know, it's very simple. Let's just wake up and look to him. I'm open to letting you bless me. I am just going to be open to the idea that you want to bless me. You want to prosper me. You want to give me a gift. And, and it could be a good discipline to train your mind to not run those patterns of lack. Because that's what you do. That's what we do. It's like you open your... I, I'm telling you, I can see it on you. I can feel it. I can hear it. Yeah. We all do it. Because you, you, you want to you add to it, right? You want to add to it. God, we just want to experience your blessing for one reason, and that, was, that is that you be glorified through us. We want this world to see Jesus. We want this world to know how good you are. 
That is why we want your blessing to manifest in our lives. We want Jesus to receive the entire inheritance and reward that he paid for in us. That as I allow your blessing to be built and established into my life, Jesus is receiving more of his reward in me. He paid for my state of existence. And part of that is you desire that I be exceedingly abundantly blessed above all that we can ask or think. So you would get the glory. Father, I'm willing. Just make this your prayer. I am willing to change the way that I think. I'm willing to let you influence me. And when that moment of inspiration rises, I will act. I will do it differently. I will shift my expectations. I will shift the eyes of my heart to stay focused on you. I'm willing to let you influence me. Amen.